This podcast is offered by the San Francisco Zen Center on the web at www.sfcc.org. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. I'd like to thank all the, the teachers uh, in this valley um, who have for decades, five decades, um, offered the Dharma to so many beings coming to this valley. All the practice discussions, the dokasans, the sashins, the practice periods, the seasons of the farm over and over the bakery, all under the guidance and care of those devoted to meeting life, the fullness of life with the Dharma. So thank you so much. Mm. My name is Nancy Petrin, and uh, I currently reside at uh, San Francisco Zen Center City Center. Um, I'm speaking from the Green Gulch Zendo, the old barn. Um, and it's so wonderful to be here. And as I say that, I'm very aware of all of you uh, joining us online, um, who haven't been able to be here. Um, and I'm holding that, that tenderness. I know that, uh, that longing, and I think we all do. We all now know what it means to be able to intimately be together. We know what it feels like uh, to not be. I arrived here over 25 years ago. Um, I was uh, brokenhearted when I arrived. Many of you might be able to relate to that, arriving to practice, searching for a different way. And uh, I received Sazen instruction right there, I was sitting. I think Katie Whitehead gave Sazen instruction that day. And I received Jukai right there with Linda Ruth Cutts. In 1997, I'm wearing my rakasu, which is turning like purple. I think it's like, it's very regal. Um, and uh, I was married in this barn. And uh, so intimate, so many hours of practice, so many hours facing the wall. 
being with the fullness of things. And when I left here, oh, I became a mother here. I raised my daughter in her early first five years of childhood here. And when I left, I also left brokenhearted. <laughs> and it was so perfect. bringing practice out into the world. Well, I didn't know that's what I was doing. And uh, becoming a single mom and raising my daughter. It's all been amazing. And I'm so grateful. It was very different how I arrived to practice. And how I left this place. But practice never leaves. Like a tiger taking to the mountains. Our vows are so much deeper than I could ever imagine. So the other day I was listening to a podcast with Krista Tippett. Perhaps some of you know her. Uh, she has this amazing podcast called On Being. It's a whole project. And uh, she was in conversation with uh, Jane Hirschfield, a poet, longtime Zen practitioner, uh, Muir Beach neighbor. I think she's probably still in Muir Beach. Anyway, she's not. She's always close to heart. And in the conversation, this one line uh, that, uh, that Jane spoke uh, really caught me. The way you can be caught and turned. What is this? She, she was talking about acknowledging the fullness of things. She said, acknowledging the fullness of things is our human task. It's like, oh, we've been tasked. The fullness, acknowledging, acknowledging the fullness of things is our human task. And when a Zen practitioner speaks of these things, I feel as though she's, you know, seeding the Dharma. And I felt that although Jane didn't call it this, she was, she was talking about, uh, the task of the bodhisattva of acknowledging the fullness of things. 
think when I took my Bodhisattva vows, although everything in my heart said, yes, this is how I want to live. I think I didn't realize uh, the enormity of that vow. You know, the vow to meet each moment, each thing that arises fully. My understanding is this is how we acknowledge the fullness of life. Uh, Suzuki Roshi. Uh, oh, before I go to Suzuki Roshi, um, I wanted to say something about uh, a poem by Naomi Shihap Nye. Um, She's a wonderful poet of Palestinian ancestry. And um, in this poem that came out in 2000, I'm not sure when the poem came out, uh, but I did when I was looking for it just the other day, see that in 2018, it was the most read poem over, or at least online, over 250 people had looked up this poem. And Naomi starts out by saying, before you know what kindness really is, you must lose things, feel the future dissolve in a moment, like salt in a weakened broth. What you held in your hand, what you counted and carefully saved, all this must go, so you know how desolate the landscape can be between the regions of kindness. And uh, perhaps you can think of a time, a uh, time perhaps when you are really struggling and the simplest kindness just touched so deeply, oftentimes so unexpectedly, you know, just a simple gesture, extension from someone. When, uh, when I was wondering if people could relate to this feeling of tenderness, you know, um, I was just thinking of all the ways that uh, when our heart is, is threatened, when we feel vulnerable, uh, just how quickly, uh, how quickly we close down. And uh, I believe that in practice, what's being offered to us is a form to take, a way of 
safely, softly and gently opening our hearts. And the irony is that we close down so quickly and what we're doing is we're protecting our heart, but actually what we truly want is freedom. We truly want an open heart in which to meet the fullness of things, the fullness of life, the fullness of each other. When uh, I saw a documentary not that long ago, a few years ago, I guess, on the Dalai Lama, and it starts out with all of these photos of his early life. You know, he's, he was carried around and all these jewels and all, just uh, so much uh, royalty. And then you see as a young man, he has to leave Tibet. He has to leave everything he knows, everything he loves. And he dresses as, you know, a peasant, a commoner, a, you know, one of us. <laughs> um, and at the end of that documentary, you know, he said, it was the best thing. It was the best thing. Otherwise, I never would have met the people. You know, there's all these images of him just like, you know, taking hand after hand and making eye contact with people, you know. And he also said, and this really caught my attention as well. He said the person that he learned compassion from was his mother. And when he said that, I thought of our women ancestors and how we chant known and unknown, you know. Now, for all of us who are these unknown teachers, you know, they touch us so deeply. Well, very known for him. But I think this, the tenderness, the brokenheartedness, you know, of the Dalai Lama. He understands the vastness of human suffering in such a, a real way. I'm probably misquoting, but it stuck with me that I once heard him quoted as saying, we should all be walking around brokenhearted. You know? And it's so true. In San Francisco, I walk out my door and, ah. So the tenderness when I pass another, and I wish them upon them the nobility of humanness, you know. In a talk that Suzuki Roshi gave at Tassahara in uh, 1971, the year that Suzuki Roshi passed, he was telling the students, and I wonder if 
I think it's, sometimes it's funny for me to talk about a talk when you know some of our teachers were probably there. And this is how it landed for me. I listened to his talks online. I like hearing them in his voice. But in this talk, he was saying to his students, this is after years of working with them and it was the same year he died. So this instruction came late, perhaps, uh, came later after teaching, you know, the Fukansa Zengi, after teaching, you know, this is how you sit, this is how you sit meditation. And what he says is, I want you to have the actual feeling of true practice. Because even though I practiced Zazen when I was young, I didn't know exactly what it was. Sometimes I was very impressed by our practice at Eheji and other monasteries. When I saw great teachers or listened to their lectures, I was deeply moved, but it was difficult to understand those experiences. Our aim is to have complete experience or full feeling in each moment of practice. What we teach is that enlightenment and practice are one, but my practice was what we call step ladder Zen. I understand this much now and next year. I understand this now. Oh, I understand this much now. And next year, I thought I will understand a little bit more. That kind of practice doesn't make much sense. I could never be satisfied. If you try stepladder practice, maybe you too will realize that it is a mistake. If we do not have some warm, big satisfaction in our practice, that is not true practice. Even though you sit trying to have the right posture and counting your breath, it may still be lifeless zazen because you are just following instructions. You are not kind enough with yourself. You think that if you follow the instructions given by some teacher, then you will have good zazen. But the purpose of instruction is to encourage you to be kind with yourself. Do not count your breaths, just avoid your thinking mind, but to take the best care of your breathing. If you are very kind with your breathing, one breath after another, you will have a refreshed, warm feeling in your zazen. When you have a warm feeling for your body and your breath, then you can take care of your practice and you will be fully satisfied. When you are very kind with yourself, naturally, you will feel like this. So this taking care of each breath. You know, when difficult things arise in Zazen, you know, 
What is it to meet it with warmth and this warm care? And if we practice this way, I think the fear of meeting each other in our fullness, you know, slowly melts away. Suzuki Roshi says, a mother will take care of her child, even though she may have no idea how to make her baby happy. And when, when I read this, I was thinking, that was exactly my experience of taking care of my daughter. You know, I had no idea, you know. It's like, who are you? You know, how do I, what do I do here, you know? And I think this example, you know, of a mother, and this is a huge generalization, this is not true for all mothers. Being a mother is very, very complex. But I think this feeling that Suzuki Roshi is pointing to when saying this is this feeling of a parent, you know, extending this this curiosity, you know, what is here? You know? And what is that to have that kind of curiosity, that kind of warmth in our zazen? You know, what is here? The mystery of it, the mystery of this baby. This is our human inclination. I really believe this. This wanting to know, to feel into the fullness of each moment. To really understand what is it that is holding me back? What is it that I am resisting in this moment? in the next moment, in the next moment, that subtle resistance, you know. Modern science is, is revealing more and more every day about uh, uh, forest uh, science. It's becoming more and more mainstream. Uh, accepted in mainstream stream science, how, how forests, no matter what type of tree, how forests are connected by mushrooms, by these intricate, intricate networks of mushrooms, microbial life. And when a tree is in distress, that naturally the other trees will send that tree what it needs. And you may be aware of this. 
I find this fascinating. The human body does the same thing. So when a mother is nursing their child, the milk that the human body produces is exactly what that child needs for their brain development, for their health. If a child is sick, the mother's body, through the information received from the baby's saliva, produces what that child needs. That is just amazing to me. And if you somehow feel left out by that, what I'm pointing to is the human body, our human body. This is what the human body does. This is the human body's impulse to completely give what is needed. And it's not that the mother knows this. This is the human response. So somehow our bodies want to give in any moment what is needed. And I wonder when I check in with myself, you know, what am I resisting in this moment, any time during the day? When I reflect on that, when I just pose that question, there's always something. And if I open, if I extend my aperture, if I feel into any moment, there's something there to receive. Allowing the sounds of this old barn to touch me. And yet when we look, when we look, we cannot find it because it's not out there. So the Bodhisattva vow to awaken with all beings. Yesterday we had the full moon ceremony at uh, city center. And uh, as I, I was Kokyo, so it was the first time I ever heard full moon ceremony. It was Maya was, full, was Kokyo for full moon ceremony.
how an open, curious heart, uh, so deeply touched. Uh, when I went to go get uh, this book, uh, not, al not always so. Uh, can they see it online? Go get to, can you see this? Yeah. Uh, this photo of Suzuki Roshi. I hadn't pulled this book out in a long time. And uh, preparing for this talk, there were just so many memories of being here at Green Gulch. And um, I was on bed rest for the last month of my pregnancy because it turns out that making beds wasn't so good <laughs> or where I was in my pregnancy. So finally, I was put on bed rest, and could not get out of bed. And uh, so I had this photo of Suzuki Roshi next to me and I felt so uh, pathetic, sounds judgmental, but I felt so kind of deflated. And I just kept, just kept looking at at this face, you know, this is, this is like, this is presence, you know, to be willing to meet being so undefended because there's nothing to defend. So I think it's time for me to stop cheer you said to stop at 11. I think this is stopping time. So thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for taking care of Green Gulch. a lot of work. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the San Francisco Zen Center. Our Dharma talks are offered at no cost and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your financial support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information, visit sfcc.org and click Giving. May we fully enjoy the Dharma.